Let's turn, we're, we're in, continuing on in a, uh, our series in the parables, and uh, we're turning to the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, and it's in Luke chapter 10, uh, and it would be great again if you would have uh, a Bible open in front of you. Uh, there's some in, the, in the, the church there under the seats, and it's on page 1042. Uh, it's just really helpful uh, because we will, in a sense, walk through uh, the parable, and it's good to have the, that in front of you as we do that. So, uh, page 1042, reading from Luke chapter 10. And it says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen. Amen. If we can just have our proper first slide up there, please. Uh, Morris? Ah, there we go. Does anyone recognize where this might be from? Yes, yes, it's that well-known, long-running Australian soap opera, Neighbours. And everybody knows that, well, everybody needs good neighbors. Now, the story is told of a young Scottish fellow who left the Highlands and went down to live in London. Uh, And after a time there, his mum called him and she said to him, uh, you know, how are you getting on in London? Have you got good neighbours there? And and the young Scottish fellow said, no, mum, my neighbours are a nightmare. The the, the woman on one side keeps screaming and shouting all night and and the man on the other side keeps banging on the wall all night. Uh, And his mum said, don't you let those strange London neighbours get to you, son. And he says, no, mum, I don't. I, I just keep myself to myself and keep on playing my bagpipes. Everybody needs good neighbors. But who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? That is the question that this expert in the law asked Jesus. And Jesus answered with this parable, with this story, possibly the best known one in the book, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But did you notice that in the process of answering the question with this story and a question of his own, Jesus doesn't actually tell the lawyer who his neighbor is? But rather, he helps him to understand how to be a good neighbor himself. 
You see, here it says that the expert in the law is testing Jesus. He's a religious man. He's an expert in the law. That's the Jewish religious law. 613 laws that the Jews tried to keep. The religious experts, you see, they were always trying to trip Jesus up on a technicality. And this expert, he knew the laws about loving God and loving his neighbor. But these are hugely open-ended commandments, aren't they? And, and this lawyer wanted to know, basically, well, he wanted to know, well, Jesus, where should I draw the line? This guy wanted to know, who is my neighbor? And conversely, he wanted to know, and who isn't my neighbor? Who should I love? And who shouldn't I love? This was his question to Jesus. And you see, Jesus helps the man to come to his own correct answer by telling him this story. And by the end of this little conversation, the man starts to understand not so much who his neighbor is, but what a neighbor is. And in coming to that conclusion, he has his question answered. Being a good neighbor will mean that everyone, everyone is indeed his neighbor. Even those who don't share his faith, his gender, his ethnic background, his political views, his culture. You see, Jesus is more interested in showing him how to be a good neighbor than in showing him who his neighbor is. And as we look at this parable this morning we, we, and look at what Jesus' answer is to that man, we will want to listen because Jesus' words are the same to us today. And this is a very challenging parable. There's no two ways about it. It's very challenging for me and it's very challenging for all of us. And yes, as I speak, I'm aware that many of you have been good neighbors and good Samaritans to people both within the congregation and outside of the congregation for, for perhaps for many years. And I see much good neighborliness expressed here at Orangefield, and I'm often the recipient of it, for I often need to help to ask for help with something or other. And I know that the members of Orangefield are very generous with their time and their talents and their finances, being good neighbors to others in all sorts of ways, from helping with organizations which promote neighborliness to being in, in, uh, contributing to our hamper ministry and, and to the United Appeal for Mission. But, but one of the points of this parable is that there are no limits to this open-ended commandment to love God and to love our neighbor. And as we seek to be disciples, making disciples here in Orangefield, that will involve us loving God and loving our neighbor in ever-increasing measure. This teaching of Jesus, it, it speaks directly into our vision, our God-given vision, with one of our priorities being that we love our neighbor. So let's be listening for what God is saying to us this morning about being good neighbors and about what Jesus wants to say by way of both encouragement and challenge. So as we, look, as, as we look, start to look at this, we see that Jesus, for a start, Jesus turns an abstract theological discussion into something very real, something very practical. You see, we can easily be like this expert in the law, can't we? We can ask all sorts of questions and we can turn something very simple into something very complicated. Just like him, often we'd rather talk about it. We'd rather talk about it than, than do something about it. 
And sometimes we ask questions that are, are really only a smokescreen or are really only ways of, of us avoiding to having to actually take action. Or we want to draw those lines around our charity. Or we want to love the traditions and the laws of our religion more than we love our neighbor. Today, you see, today we call this the parable of the Good Samaritan. In fact, the phrase Good Samaritan has become part of our common everyday language with very positive connotations. But it wasn't always like that. It wasn't like that in Jesus' day. You see, the people that Jesus was telling this story to, they would never, ever have used the words good and Samaritan together. Ever. To the Jews of the time, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan, and vice versa. The Jews and the Samaritans despised one another. They had this long-running political, cultural, and religious hatred for each other that often spilled over into violence. Sound familiar? In 128 BC, the Jews had attacked and destroyed the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim. The Samaritan, for their part, they often attacked and robbed and killed Jewish pilgrims traveling back and forward between, yes, Jerusalem and Jericho. So given this mutual hatred between Jews and Samaritans, it would have been, it would have been more likely that the people were expecting Jesus to say that the Samaritan came along, found this injured guy, and finished him off. But we know that's not what happened. We see... So we see in verses 30 to 32 that this man was making the 17-mile-long journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. This injured man would, would have been assumed to have been a Jew making his way back home to Jericho following a visit to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And the man is attacked, he's beaten, he's robbed, and he's left for dead. And then who comes along? A priest and a Levite. A priest and a Levite come along, two religious men, two, two fellow experts in the law. And they know all about this law, about loving God and loving their neighbor. But they pass by on the other side. And then we read in verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop right there, Jesus. You're saying that this injured guy was helped by a Samaritan? A Samaritan? Really? Not one of us good, decent, upstanding religious types? But a Samaritan? You see, to Jesus' first hearers, this is shocking stuff. You see, it would have been radical enough for Jesus to have told this man that another Jew came along and helped him. But a Samaritan? And it's this aspect of the story that gets very easily lost on us today. But Jesus very deliberately casts a Samaritan, an outsider, one of them, as the hero of the story. And the passage says that the Samaritan saw the injured man. He took pity on him. He had compassion. And he doesn't discriminate against this injured man. He doesn't ask who he is or what he is or how did he get there. 
he simply had compassion on him. So that's our first point. I have just two points today, but they're fairly major ones. So, First point, a good neighbor has compassion and doesn't discriminate. The Samaritan saw the man lying beside the road and his heart went out to him. So much so that he just couldn't pass by without helping. That's the way compassion affects us. Especially when we remember God's graciousness and compassion towards us. He is a gracious and compassionate God. Our God. And when we remember how gracious and compassionate our our God is towards us, then we want to reflect that in how we treat others. Any love that, that we show to other people is part of our response to God's great love for us. His love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. 1 John 4 and 10 says this, This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our love for our neighbor, you see, comes from us having accepted something of God's wonderful love for us and is a response to God's great grace and compassion towards us. You see, God saw us lying at the side of the road. He saw us lying at the side of the road, helpless and dying in our sins. And in his mercy and grace, he gave his one and only son to come down to rescue us. To to, unworthy as we are, undeserving as we are, to rescue us, to pick us up and to carry us home. And when we remember God's compassion to us in our need, we feel compassion to others, for others in their need. And this compassion stirs us, it inspires us, it compels us to do something. When that Samaritan looked out upon that suffering man lying by the side of the road, something happened, something stirred in him, something, something made, him, made it impossible for him to walk past. He didn't decide to help this guy on the basis of his worthiness or because of, he thought that he deserved it, he didn't. The Samaritan helped him simply because the man was in need. There's no logical reason for, for this Samaritan to rearrange his plans to spend his money and his time helping an enemy in need. Of all the people who passed by this man, the Samaritan had the least reason to help, but he saw a fellow human being in need. He took pity on him. He felt compassion. Do we feel compassion when we see people in need? The, the, the priest and the Levite passed by the man. I'm sure they thought they had good reason for doing so. Oh yeah, I'm sure they did. And, and you know, the Samaritan, I'm sure, could have found a hundred reasons for not stopping, for not helping. And we're still familiar with many of them today, I think. Maybe discrimination or sectarianism. This injured guy, well, he's not one of us. He can wait till one of his own come along and, and they can help him. Or, or if I stop to help one of them, maybe one of mine will, will, will call me a traitor and, and maybe they'll come around and set fire to my donkey or something. I don't know. Or, or maybe it's his own fault. These guys, they never learn. This is always happening on this part of the road. Sometimes you just got to learn the hard way. Or, or maybe if I stop to help them, I'll be the next victim. Or maybe I've got compassion fatigue. I'm fed up helping these guys. 
or this happens so many times, me helping this one person, it's not going to make any difference. Or I don't have the time. Or I'm in a hurry. I've got a meeting. I've other things on my mind. I've other things I can do with my money. Sure, we can think of loads of different reasons why we might not help someone in need, but the Samaritan took pity on him, had compassion, and he helped him. You see, it's one of the differences between somebody who has tasted God's grace and is a good neighbor and someone who hasn't and isn't. This injured man, as I said, most likely assumed to be one of the, a Jew, one of the Samaritan's enemies, one of them on his way back home from the temple, helped by a Samaritan. A Samaritan helping anyone, as I said, this was the most shocking point of this parable. But Jesus' message is very clear. It's when it comes to helping people in need, there can be no them and us approach. In this parable, Jesus teaches that true love for neighbor allows absolutely no room for discrimination, whether it be between Jew and Samaritan, Christian and Muslim, Protestant and Catholic, black and white, heterosexual and LGBT. True love for neighbor, Jesus says, allows no room for discrimination. And this remains Jesus' teaching to his people. And it's a big challenge. It's a big challenge for us. It's a high calling to reflect the love of this God who so loves the world. But that's what we're called to do. People around the world, even Christian people, have spent generations in harboring bigoted attitudes. Oh, we know what that looks like, don't we? Because, well... We've been pretty good at it in Northern Ireland, haven't we? <clears throat> and often, you see, we'll be at least thinking just a teeny weeny weeny wee bit, perhaps, yeah, yeah, I love my neighbor as myself, so long as my neighbor is like myself. But with this one short parable, Jesus says, no, that's not the way of love, and that's not the way of my disciples. As Christians, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, even when our neighbors are not like ourselves. Now, we don't have to agree with them. We don't have to always agree with everyone. But we are commanded to love them and to help those in need. So with this parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus shows us that a good neighbor feels compassion and doesn't discriminate against anyone just because they're different. No, he acts on the, the, the basis of his, the compassion that he feels on the man's need and for the man in his need, rather than his identity or as a reason for the circumstances. He is compelled to act. In verse 34, we're told, So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The Samaritan swings into action. There's six verbs in this one sentence. It says, he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured oil and wine, he put him on his donkey, he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. That's our second point. A good neighbor takes action and demonstrates real love in a practical way. 
This Samaritan doesn't step away from the injured man. He steps towards him. And likewise, we've got to step towards people if we want to express compassion, if we want to build relationships and demonstrate real love. And it's not something that just happens. It takes effort. It's, it's, it's often not convenient. And remember, the, the Samaritan is moving towards someone who probably wouldn't be doing the same for him if the shoe was on the other foot. <clears throat> but in every way, he acts, he demonstrates compassion, and he responds in a, a very practical way. He put him on his donkey, which meant that he had to walk. The man really, literally, went the extra mile. He took his man to an inn. He saw to it that the innkeeper looked after the recovering victim. He, he gave him some money. He promised he would return and, and pay him more, fully reimburse, reimburse the innkeeper for the additional expenses. He, he put no limit on how much, actually, he would pay for. And so there's nothing more that this Samaran could have done to show his compassion for this man and demonstrate his love for his neighbor. You see, the religious expert recites the law and the Samaritan lives it. The lawyer talks the talk and the Samaritan walks the walk. And walking the walk will cost us too, folks. It will cost us time and money and effort. But here's Jesus' question to us, isn't it? Reciting the law or living it? Talking the talk or walking the walk? How are we doing? And you know, sometimes helping other people doesn't actually take a lot of action, really. Sometimes it does, yes, but but perhaps you're less active than you once were and you can't do the practical things that you once did or that you would love to do, but there are still many ways that you can show God's love and be a good neighbor to people in need. Perhaps praying for someone or a wee phone call to somebody who's ill or a visit to someone who's housebound. Maybe inviting someone along to something that's on at church or a meal provided directly to someone or through a bag of groceries through the hamper ministry or, or, or perhaps some... Uh, financial support either directly or through church or charity. Every single act of love counts and makes a real difference in the lives of someone who receives it. And we, we won't be able to help everyone, but that shouldn't stop us from helping the one and the ones that we can. You see, Jesus' great commission to us, the church, is to make disciples, to make disciples of ourselves and of all nations. And here Jesus is clearly saying that his people, his disciples, love God and love their neighbor and act like this good Samaritan. You see, being a disciple has both vertical and horizontal dimensions. And I'm reluctant to say it has vertical and horizontal dimensions. But the cross, the cross, that's what the cross is about, isn't it? The cross says that there are vertical dimensions and horizontal dimensions. We can't have one without the other. If we say that we love God but not our neighbor, well, do we really love God? And more importantly, have we even really started to understand, to receive the amazing grace of God? To understand the width and height and depth and length of the love of God? As I've said, discipleship is about loving God and neighbor because God first loved us. 
And, and we don't be good neighbors in order for somehow to make God love us. No, we be good neighbors because, because God loves us. We are channels of God's grace. As we receive that grace, so we are open and it flows through us and out to others, out to our neighbors, out to the world. To our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, even our enemies. So just as I finish, as we seek to be disciples making disciples here at Orangefield, let us be good neighbors. And if we are, the call is, as I say, to be better neighbors, increasingly loving God and loving neighbor. What is a good neighbor? Well, the good Samaritan. This was Jesus' definition of a good neighbor. A good neighbor has compassion and doesn't discriminate. A good neighbor takes action and demonstrates real love in a practical way. And so Jesus sends us out, sends us, his children, his family, his people, out today filled with his love, with a very simple yet very demanding command. Go and do likewise. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let us pray. Let's just take a moment to respond to God in the silence of our own hearts to what he's been saying to us this morning. Father God, we thank you for your living word that speaks to us, both reminding us of your great love for us and challenging and inspiring us to be channels of that love out into a world of need around us. Father, we know that we are fully reliant on your love for us and we thank you for it. We thank you for every expression of your love towards us. We thank you for the love that we find in this place. We thank you for the love that is shared between members of this church family. We thank you for their love and for your love. And we ask that you would please fill us with your spirit and your grace and help us to share our love by being good neighbors to all people near and far. And when we see someone in need, help us to have compassion and not to discriminate, to take action and demonstrate real love in practical ways to help them. And may we do this all motivated and inspired by your love and for your glory. And because you have first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.